Chipper is here at 207. Chip is on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Chip, in the last uh, 10, 15 minutes, the news uh, breaking that DeMar Hamlin has been released from the hospital, and he is now back in Buffalo. And it was one week ago today when this happened, and you just nailed it. It is amazing. A man who they had the authorities who were brilliant, had him, they brought him back to life not once but twice. You do not know if he would live. You do not know what the lack of oxygen might do to his intellectual capability. And we still don't know everything. But day after day, Chip, more progress. Uh, the, the, the pictures of him smiling during FaceTime – reacting to the remarkable touchdown return by the Bills in this news, I don't think any of us, just as observers, not as family, that's a totally different situation, I don't think any of us could have expected more in this relatively short period of time considering what we witnessed less than seven days ago. Yeah, it is amazing, but I also think it speaks to the tremendous care that he got and the prompt action of the first responders and the medical teams there on the field. Cause if that think about if this would have happened 15 years ago, you know, maybe 20 yeah. years ago, would the NFL right. have these kind of processes and procedures in place where you can act that quickly and really save this guy's life on the field um, and give him an, an opportunity to have this outcome. You know, I think if you had told us, a week ago, that you know what he's going to survive. I would say he's going to be in the hospital a long time, and who knows what kind of, you know, uh, lung function or brain function or, or yeah. what's going to happen when you're talking about having to give a guy CPR in the field. So it's nothing short of remarkable. But I think it, man, those the, the medical staffs and the and the first responders there at the stadium and in uh, at the Cincinnati uh, hospital deserve just endless amount of praise for how they how they handled his care. Without a doubt. You juxtapose that with what happened with Quay Walker last night. We're going to yeah. talk about this Packer-Lions game. But you have a Lions player injured, and you have a trainer come in the field who does what all of us have done thousands of times where you just kind of put your hand out and you're mm-hmm. sliding by somebody. Or you're just creating just a little bit of space. There wasn't a single aggressive action by the trainer at this particular time. And Quay Walker, who had been ejected from a game earlier this year for nonsense like this, pushes the trainer. Now, to the trainer's credit, that boy, Chipper, he turned around and he stepped towards him, I'm sure had some (laughs) choice words for him. And I know Quay Walker has uh, apologized today. But, my God, just a modicum of awareness of what is taking on. And I got it. It's a violent, emotional game. But you're also aware of injuries. And this isn't somebody who's coming on to, he's on the opposite side, so i got to be aware. It's a trainer. It was thoroughly embarrassing what Walker did last night. Yeah, and it's, yeah it is you know nice that he has come out today and apologized. But you, you hit the nail on the head. The lack of self-awareness and self-control in that situation, he turned and saw that that was not a football player that put his hands on. He saw that that was a, 
team official that was just trying to scoot over so he could get in to help the player. For him to shove him, and then if you watch it, there was another player, I don't know who it was, yes. that kind of bumped the, the guy too. So it was two that were acting like idiots. And I, I imagine and I hope that the league comes down hard on him because you can't just say, well, he apologized, we'll let it go. No, there has to be punishment here. I mean, the kid needs to be punished, um, and he has to learn that this, you know, once, okay, this is twice now. This is twice where he's yeah. had a situation like this, and given everything that happened and transpired yes. last week, for right. him to do it in that situation is beyond idiotic. And so I, I really hope there's uh, some pretty stiff punishment for him. I agree. I think he needs to set out another game at minimum now. Yeah. There will not be another game this year for the Packers. So <clears throat> I believe Aaron Rodgers is going to play another year myself. I think I'm in the minority. I think the money is too big. I think the hit is too hard against the Packers. I got it. Mm-hmm. He said uh, the Lions put it last night. I'm going to keep this jersey. We'll probably get plenty of drama. But if you told me right now, yes or no, is Rodgers on? Uh, is Rodgers playing in the NFL next year? I'm a yes. Where are you at? I would say yes. Uh, you know, probably the popular thing right now is to say because of the emotion and how bad things look right now and just everything that transpired this uh, year, you say, yeah, maybe hang it up. But I agree. I don't think he's walking away from that kind of money. I don't think he'll walk away with that ending. Uh, as bad as it was and throwing an interception and, and feeling like, um, you know, he performed so poorly. I think he'll, once you get away and kind of let the emotion of it die down and, and reflect on it and reflect on how much money he still owed. Um, yes. I think, I think I, I agree. I think he comes back. Uh, it just, it, you know, he's not this Aaron Rodgers that we're, we have in our, in our, you know, memories and the image of him i mean he's clearly lost some some of that might have been because of the injury and it'll be interesting to see kind of what more news comes out of that the severity of the hand injury that he dealt with but um it's not like he's washed up right and embarrassing himself and so uh i do i agree with you i do believe he'll come back 30 years of Favre and rogers and two super bowls that is underachieving yes or no yeah, I agree. And, and you know, the comeback is, well, they did win two Super Bowls, and that's great. And, you know, sure. if, if, you're, if you're at a franchise that hasn't, uh, you can't say yeah. that. But, but right. it, does feel, it does feel like you've left something on the table, right? Oh, yeah. You have Hall of, back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, and that's all you have. And, you know, that's part of the narrative with Rodgers, too, is, like, he's flopped. Yes, it he is. He failed in the postseason. and. That's got to be last three games. I mean, look at his NFC championship record, and then how about just the last three? He loses that championship game against the Bucks at home. He loses mm-hmm. last year at home to San Francisco, and he loses this year at home to a Lions team that captivated us, but they were out of the playoffs. They're not playoff team, <laughs> not playoff team too. Yes, um, but I, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a failure. Um, and he's he's really struggled in the in the postseason, and, and there's part of me that wonders if that won't be the motivation that burns for him to come back and you know maybe try to rewrite a little bit of that and finish it on a yep. different note. Um, but I, I you know watching that game last night, I like Dan Campbell. <laughs> he is a hoot. It was fun. Um, and yeah. I give him credit for you know 
that team plays hard for him, Chad, no matter yes, the circumstances. Do. And it'll be interesting to see. And Royce tweeted this out last night. Will they be the fashionable pick the division next year? Yes, without a doubt they will be. How for crazy sure. does that sound? Like you're, you're going <laughs> to pick the Lions favorite to win the, the division. But you know what? I, I, you you can make a case for it, that's for sure. Absolutely. And the quarterback now is playing pretty darn good when you thought yeah. he was just, you know, uh, when they were taking him just to get uh, draft choices. But now he's he had a very good season. Let's pause the chip, come back. We'll talk Vikings and Gopher men's basketball before this hour is done. Good guest on this large story about what happened to a Hamlin professor and the photo of Muhammad an individual who's a part of this story is going to join us at 2.35 on CCO. Chip Scoggins with us in the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Did you learn any new information about the Purple yesterday outside of the fact that Nick Mullins may eventually be a superstar quarterback? Uh, I got to see some players I hadn't really knew their names playing in the second half. But, uh, no, I mean, that was... I was t- talking to some writers earlier. That almost from the jump felt like a preseason game. Yes. Um, clearly, the the you know the Bears were uh, playing backups and just Whew. trying to you know <laughs> secure that number one pick and see some some it players. Worked. So <clears throat> yeah, crazy enough it worked thanks to Lovey Smith. But no, I, I don't think we yeah. learned anything other than I knew it was right to get guys out of there and protect them, and the, and the Giants did the same thing. They they basically rested all their starters at Philly, too. So, uh, so you, you should have two relatively healthy teams, two teams that were, you know, came down to a 61-yard field goal a couple weeks ago. So it's I think they're pretty evenly matched, and that's um, two first-time rookie head coaches. Uh, yep. So it should be a pretty, uh, pretty, I think, even matchup and just see who executes better. I was making this point to Collar on uh, Friday. I get and I know you do too, how good Brian O'Neill is. And Mm -hmm. he has been out there constantly. And it's not easy to lose a Brian O'Neill. But every year at this point, Chip, great teams. And by the way, there are great teams who lose too many players and they don't go far in the playoffs. But it is incredibly rare at this point where if you're going to go far in the playoffs, you haven't lost a player to. It just is a part of the sport is so brutal. So, sure, he's missed, but don't act like uh, you're the only team and you're without one of your key players. Well, no. I mean, you're never going to get to this point and have all 22 starters. I mean, just that that doesn't work. And and for the most part, the Vikings had dodged it early a season. That was part of their charmed existence that they didn't really have any major ones. And, um, you know, we'll see if Bradbury gets back uh, this week. But yeah, it's like, and he is. I would say O'Neill's probably a top, what, five, seven player in your team, top five. Yep, for sure. Um, yep. So it's not like it's nothing, but it also is like you're not dealing with seven lost starters here. And so um, this is part of the deal. And this is where the depth issue has come into you know to play. Is like, do you have the quality backups? And that was mm-hmm. something we've been talking about for two years that. If you get in this situation, it's all not lost because you have developed and drafted and signed quality depth. And, and 
that's where I think people are still uneasy because when you look at their offensive line right now, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, yes. it's that, that to me is the biggest question mark going into this game. It's like, how can this offensive line hold up um, against, you're going to be facing some really good defensive fronts. And I just don't care how pro football focus favorably graded your offensive line yesterday. The bears, yeah. they were already in Cancun. Okay. They, they left, they were on their, uh, their trip to yeah. warm weather. So they do get the Giants again, and this defense was dreadful. They were dreadful against the run and pass. Yeah. The reminder is that you're going up against uh, just an average quarterback and mm-hmm. a well below receiving crew. Now, I got yeah. it. <laughs> They've given up yardage to a lot of people, but this isn't one of those uh, – passing teams where they just have elite players all over the place they really don't have anybody who's elite passing so they're going to give up some yardage but there are a lot of worse lions are a worse matchup the packers maybe are a worse message uh, matchup when you think it gets the you know the pass defense this team shouldn't scare you at all in that area no i mean obviously they want to run the ball with saquon barkley you know um yep. and they want to and they want to win a certain way but um, it's not like they have one area where they're like they're so superior to what you have, you know. No. And but it, but it goes back to Chad. Last time they played, remember, Vikings come down and score, and this is sort of a microcosm of their whole season. And then just bam, 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 the Giants yes. go right down the field and make plays against them. And so, to me, this comes down to it really does. And, and go back to the game one, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith dominated that game they were the story of that game against the packers Mm -hmm. the way they pressured rogers can they have that type of performance where they absolutely control the line of scrimmage and if they can i think they're having a good chance to win all right you got about two minutes before you have to go marcus fuller good reporting for your paper on the true number of people who enter williams arena where the average is atrocious it's Mm -hmm. it's embarrassing it's 3300 a game and they lose to my guy Freddie Hoiberg in Nebraska. Nebraska is playing a little better lately, but they're not that good. And Wisconsin's just decent. I mean, what needs to happen? Do they need to win for, like, multiple years where they have 10,000 people there? By the way, that would be well short of a sell-up, but 3,300. Yeah. You have parties at your house with more than 3,300 <laughs> people, Joe. I, you know, I – we had seen the, the, the crowd shots on TV, but when I saw those numbers, 3,100, 3,300, whatever it was, Whoa. for actual – I mean, that has to be alarming. And, yeah, I mean, the only way to, to fix that is to win. I mean, you you because I got to imagine, Chad, you can get tickets pretty inexpensive there right now. <laughs> yes. They're probably giving yes. them away, right? And Correct. people still are not going. And so the only way you're going to get people to go through the hassle that Williams Arena sometimes is – parking and all that is a win and the only way you're going to win is they have to get better high uh, more high uh, level talent through the portal yep. through drafting or through uh, recruiting i think ben has done that with some guys coming in the evans kid from from uh, california but if he's going to hit the portal you really need to be able to rely on those kids to play at a high level and they just haven't been able to do that and guard play yeah. they i mean their guard, guard play it is it is Wolf. that's it yeah. Yes, and it's, they just, they're just—they're so far off the radar right now, Chad. It's, it's unbelievable. 
my friends, and I'm sure yours are the same, who consume and go to sports, go for basketball doesn't even come up in the conversation anymore. No, no, it's not. I mean, it's because it's, you know, I thought they were last year. I like the way that team played. You tell, you could tell they didn't have much talent, but I like the way they played. They played hard. They played together. They surprised you. They, they, there was just like a spirit about them. And I watched this team this year. I'm like, I, it's just not compelling. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't feel like it's moving in the, any kind of direction that, that you feel optimistic about. And so Ben has a lot of work. Um, and it does. It comes back to guard play. They have to get better guard play. Uh, I think through the portal, that seems like what, you know, the way he's going to have to get mm-hmm. here for a couple of yep. years. So that's, that's the answer. <laughs> All right, brother. Enjoy the day. We'll talk soon. Okay. We'll see you, bro. Chip Scoggins. The Hamlin story is everywhere. A Hamlin professor showed a painting of Prophet Muhammad. She lost her job. This is the headline from the Pioneer Press. The firing was aimed at containing a controversy that backfired. An individual, Mark Berkson, a religious professor to Hamlin, who's quoted in the story and is right in the middle of this story, Mark Berkson will join us on this and then your reaction on if you agree or disagree with how this played out. That's coming up after traffic and weather. So let's jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to read from the story, which you can consume, New York Times, Pioneer Press, Erica Lopez Prater an adjunct professor at Hamlin. She knew that many Muslims have deeply held religious beliefs that prohibits depictions of the Prophet Muhammad. So last summer, as she's teaching a global arts art history class, excuse me, she took many per- precautions before showing a 14th century painting of Islam's founder. In the syllabus, she warned that images of holy figures, including Muhammad, would be shown in the course. She asked students to contact her with any concerns, and, according to her, she said no one did. In class, she prepped the students, telling them that in just a few minutes, the painting would be displayed in case anyone wanted to leave. She then showed the image. After she showed the image, a senior in class complained to the administration. Other Muslim students, not in the course, supported the student, saying the class was an attack on their religion. They demanded that officials take action. So officials told Lopez Prater that her services next semester were no longer needed. In emails to students and faculty, They said the incident was clearly Islamophobic. The president of Hamlin, Fanice Miller, co-signing email that said respect for Muslim students should have superseded academic freedom and at a town hall, we'll get to this, an invited Muslim speaker compared showing the images to teaching that Adolf Hitler was good. Let's bring in our guest on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Mark Berkson, he is a religious professor at Hamlin, 
And at this town hall, he did raise his hand. I want to get to your quote in just a little bit, Mark, but thanks for coming on. When did you first hear about the story, and what was your initial reaction? Well, first we received an email uh, from the what's called the Office of Inclusive Excellence, led by David Everett, who's a vice president of Inclusive Excellence. And this email said that an undeniably Islamophobic and disrespectful incident had occurred on campus and that they were going to take steps to address it. Well, when I first saw that email, I assumed something like, you know, a terrible uh, insult had been hurled at, at a Muslim student or something had been written on, a, on the wall, something like that. Then I heard that this happened because a professor showed an Islamic painting that was painted by Muslims for Muslims. Yes. And very a respectful portrayal that's shown to honor the prophet. Um, and these are common. Yeah. Can I just jump in on our, this? It's sure, not please. mocking the prophet in any way. This isn't cartoonish. Absolutely. This isn't a caricature. This is a highly respected portrait. Absolutely. So throughout the history of Islam, uh, there have been many uh, images of the prophet Muhammad in a wide range of cultural contexts. And there have been legal opinions issued by uh, Muslim scholars and jurists saying that such images are permissible as long as they are respectful. And so obviously something that is a caricature or insulting or disrespectful, that would not be permissible. Um, and if, uh, these images are not to be used for worship. Right. They they that's really important because one of the things Muhammad repeatedly said was that God alone is worthy of worship. He himself was not the object of worship, but he is an object of great honor and great respect and devotion. So these images have been used for centuries and in many parts of the Muslim world are still used today. And so when I saw that this was labeled Islamophobic, that's when I said, OK, clearly they must be mixing this up. With like you know the the Charlie Hebdo cartoons or something yeah, that was right. that was offensive, <clears throat> so I wrote my letter to clarify that, to give historical context, and to defend my colleague who, as a vulnerable adjunct professor, was devastated to be labeled Islamophobic. That's a a label that you know early on in your career could have an impact right on on future job opportunities. Certainly. So I wanted yep. to set the record straight, and I sent that letter in, but unfortunately. A couple of students complained, I think, and the letter was taken down. Um, so that's how this whole thing began. Uh, and then, of course, there was that community forum that you talked about, which we can uh, get into if you're interested. Yeah, we will. Just let, hold on. We'll get to in a second. So in the December interview with the school newspaper, again, this is Hamlet, the yeah. student who complained to the administration, and I and I, I certainly hope I'm pronouncing the name. I'm trying to. Aram Wetatala. She described being blindsided by the, uh, the image. I'm like, this can't be real. As a Muslim and a black person, I don't feel like I belong. And I don't think I'll ever belong in a community where they don't value me as a member and they don't show me the same respect that I show them. So just to remind the audience, in the syllabus, it stated clearly the photo was going to be shown. Right mm -hmm. before the class, just minutes before, I'm going to show this to you. I have a tough time for me, just to my view of how I would interpret this, 
when when the individual student says blindsided, you may disagree with the decision, but I don't know how you can be blindsided if you're told repeatedly. And it made me think, could this be an individual who's faced significant, significant other issues of Islamophobia, which sadly happen, whether individually, to family members, to friends on campus, and is affixing those sincere beliefs to something here when I think a lot of us don't think it applies. You know, I'm very glad that you made this point, that this incident did not happen in a vacuum. Um, I want people to keep in mind that Muslim students and students of color on campus, they have truly faced Islamophobic incidents, uh, incidents of discrimination, uh, hate speech. I mean, I think everybody should be aware now that there's been mosque vandalism occurring in Minnesota and across the country. This is a real phenomenon. And uh, students often don't feel fully included and safe. So unfortunately, the episode that seemed to have been the straw that broke the camel's back on this one was not an episode of Islamophobia, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of many other organizations and Muslims. Um, But some some breakdown occurred. I do not know why, after all the warnings and everything, she still saw them. Uh, That has never been fully clarified. But let's just say it happened. It was unfortunate, but it happened despite the professor's best efforts. And the student was genuinely distressed. Of course, at that point, when a religious prohibition has been violated, you care for the student, you support them, you help them through it. She was genuinely upset. I get that. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, we are not just there to care for and support the students. That is one of our jobs. We're there to educate them. And this was an opportunity. Absolutely. To say, I'm I'm sorry that you're upset, however— let me tell you a bit about these images and their role in the history of Islam. Uh, and because for me, there should not be a choice between educating and caring. It's not an either or. And you can even see education as a form of care. Like you know, we respect our students enough to even educate them on uncomfortable issues for them. And that's how growth happens. That's what a liberal arts education is about. Precisely. I mean, yeah, you couldn't have stated it any better. Mark Berkson is with us, religious professor to Hamlin. Let's get to this uh, forum, which took place uh, a month ago, December 8th, to discuss this. Main speaker, Jaylani Hussein. I've talked to Jaylani on the air a number of times, okay? Executive director of the Minnesota Chapter of Council on American-Islamic Relations. Part of what Jelani said at one point is, if this institution wants to value those students, he's talking about Muslim students, it cannot have incidents like this happens. If somebody wants to teach some controversial stuff about Islam, go teach it at a local library. And then, as the story is reported, that's a point where you raised your hand and said, when you say, trust Muslims on Islamophobia, what does one do? when the Islamic community itself is divided on an issue. Because there are many Muslim scholars and experts and art historians who do not believe this was Islamophobic. Jelani Hussein then responded that there were marginal and extremist voices on any issue, 
In fact, he said, you can teach a whole class about why Hitler was good. Uh, I will call out anyone and all who try to make comparisons to Hitler. And again, I don't agree with this comparison. So what did you think about what uh, Jelani had to say and why you decided to offer up the words you did? Yeah, that was a very unfortunate (laughs) and upsetting incident. Um, I just want to say, I have heard Jelani Hussein speak in the past about Islamophobia. I think CARE does a lot of very important work. uh, I do all. I'm with you. Yeah, they advocate for and support Muslims. The thing is, CARE's work, in my opinion, uh, is, is most effective when they are defending Muslims against harassment, discrimination, and attacks, and not making theological pronouncements that establish some kind of Islamic orthodoxy and imposing that on everyone. Because the problem is, the moment you say that, you actually exclude all the Muslims with a different viewpoint. You know, here he is saying that, oh, yes, this is horrible. It's like the the awful things he said about Hitler. And he said other awful things, too. Um, Very inflammatory, uh, completely unnecessary and, and not to the point. Um, so can you, can problem, you, uh, could you add a little bit more to that? What, what he said? Well, you know, one of the, this is, uh, you know, something he said, I, I, it was awful, but he said that it, it was like equivalent to showing pedophilia art, you know, I mean, he just was trying to say that how awful and blasphemous he felt it was to show any image of Muhammad at all. And I say to myself, look, if that's your opinion, okay, I get it. Don't look at the images yourself. Uh, and and don't make them. And and I respect that. That's fine. But, you know, you cannot impose your prohibition on everyone else, including all other Muslims, many of whom disagree with you. But then everyone, even who's non-Muslim, because I, I went up to him, actually, and I and I wanted to clarify to make sure I understood. I said, so the problem isn't that a Muslim student saw the image and was upset. That was not the whole problem. The problem is you're saying that the image was shown at all in any classroom, even if there are no students who object, even if there are no uh, Muslims in the room, that you're saying these images can never be seen. And that would lead to the erasure of an entire genre of Islamic art, including things that are masterpieces hanging in museums around the world. Uh, So that was so disturbing to me. So, yes, uh, but the initial impulse when I raised my hand was simply to say, listen, you at CARE do wonderful work on, on Islamophobia, and you in your presentation mentioned hate speech and mosque vandalism and violence. But how can you think that what a professor is doing in a classroom, teaching an Islamic masterpiece painted by Muslims for other Muslims after having given multiple warnings, allowing students to opt out, how can you think that's equivalent to all of those terrible uh, Islamophobic incidents. That's the, I don't, I don't think it's close. Yeah, I, I agree. He, he basically said, well, I read your editorial, and we don't need another one of your editorials here. It was very dismissive. And then I asked that follow-up statement about, um, I asked, what do you do when the Muslim community is uh, divided? You're privileging certain voices over others. Uh, that's what he kind of went off on that very intense and inflammatory series of statements. And in addition to that, uh, David Everett, the vice president of Inclusive Excellence, walked over to my seat from where he was at the front of the room 
and uh, he put his hands on my shoulder and leaned down and told me to stop asking questions. He, that this is not the place really? for this. Yeah, and I thought, well, why? Why would wouldn't it be the place for this? Well, it seemed precisely the place for. Uh, it's, it was billed as a community conversation on Islamophobia. So I assumed that that was what we were going to do was to talk about was this really Islamophobia? But no, I think in their minds what this was supposed to be. I didn't realize it. This was supposed to be let's all come together and support the students, because after the speaker, there was a student panel in which the students talked about these terrible incidents that had happened to them, examples of hate speech and harassment. And it was very emotional. And of course, and and, and like we both said, all legit and, and no one is trying to downplay those in any way. Absolutely. So um, I, they felt, I guess, that my asking this question somehow, just by, by merely raising this issue and disagreeing, that it was harmful to the students. That anything short of just supporting them, saying, I'm so sorry, this is terrible, uh, that anything short of that. But, you know, in the entire conversation about harm, and I do care when any student experiences suffering or distress, but we were neglecting the fact that our colleague, a vulnerable adjunct professor, has experienced demonstrable harm by having a class taken away, having this label put upon them. And now, of course, you know, she's just worried about her future. So uh, that really drove me to want to bring, you know, that side of the, the conversation into the room. But uh, Mark, it I got, seemed yeah, like, I, yeah. I'm glad you did. I wish I could go longer because it's such an interesting topic, but I've got a, a break coming up. Thank you so much for coming on. We will definitely reach out to you again, and we'll, we'll see if the story takes another twist or turn. So, again, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Mark Berkson, religion professor at Hamlin, about the Hamlin professor, adjunct professor fired, the reason why, the notification on a syllabus, the telling right before of the photo of Prophet Muhammad, and even with those warnings, still not brought, still not brought back. Plenty of text on this. We're going to wrap up the show when we come back. Jason, I'm sure he'll get to this before the day is done. He's going to take you home, 3 to 6. All right, because uh, the Hamlin topic required a lengthy conversation, we have a very short segment here. Uh, it's certainly one that is interesting, and I, uh, I'm fully confident we are not done with that story. We're done for the day. Adam and Ask Adam Anything and Jamie at 135. Adam at 1235 tomorrow. Uh, time for us to go. Any window questions, one way to go. Infinity from Marvin Windows. Have a nice afternoon, everybody.